welcome back. We're super excited to be here with you for season three of Mentor Chat. You know, in all of our conversations, we've talked a lot about mentoring. Clearly, it's a podcast all about mentoring, but we focused a lot on what mentoring is, what it isn't, how to be intentional and a better mentor and caring adult. Something that we haven't focused on too extensively is the research side of the field. And while there's still gaps, there's actually a lot of research about mentoring out there. That's how we have clear evidence that mentoring can have lasting positive impacts for all young people. It's how we know that one in three young people who want to mentor don't have one. In this episode, you'll hear us talk with Mike Geringer, Mentors Director of Research and Evaluation. And in this discussion, we'll talk a little bit about best practices for mentoring, like what we mentioned in episode one. And even more exciting, we'll get to talk about a new resource for mentor that's specifically for mentors and caring adults. A kind of best practices for mentors. Rather than being specific to a formal mentoring program, this new resource, Becoming a Better Mentor, Strategies to Be There for Young People, is for any and all adults who have young people in their lives or who want to be a caring and supportive adult for young people. We've been anxiously waiting for the release, and now that it's finally here, we're so excited that we get to talk with Mike more about it and to be able to share that conversation with you. So now, let's start that conversation. So Mike, thanks for joining us today on this episode of Mentor Chat. We're thrilled to have you as a guest. So if you could just let our listeners know who you officially are and your background, that would be great. Sure. Thank you for having me, uh, Michelle and Ashley. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Uh, Mike Geringer, Director of Research and Evaluation at Mentor, the National Mentoring Partnership uh, at our national office. And I have been in the mentoring field for almost a quarter century now. And I hate saying that out loud because it reminds me of how old I am. But uh, I've been in the, the mentoring game for a while I started out really working, uh, doing a lot of training and technical assistance stuff, uh, but usually pulling research into that, right? So I'm a big fan of what you might think of as applied research or research that helps people do something in the real world better. So a little less of the ivory tower peer-reviewed journal (laughs) side of things. I've been more helping people use that kind of content as they do programming and, and do work with young people. And so... I did that for many years in an organization out in Portland, Oregon called Education Northwest uh, that did a a bunch of work for federally funded uh, mentoring efforts. And then about seven years ago now, joined Mentor in this capacity as Director of Research and Evaluation and really have been kind of working to help the organization uh, translate research into practice. I think uh, the most obvious example of that is things like the elements of effective practice for mentoring, uh, which is kind of our core guidance for people that are running mentoring programs. Uh, but then also doing some original research. We did a study, for example, a few years back called The Power of Relationships, which was really an attempt to kind of capture the volume and the quantity of mentoring that was happening. So we did a survey of American adults asking, are you mentoring a young person, either in a program or or not, and and really came up with some amazing uh, statistics about how much of that is happening uh, out in the world. And, and it was really great to see, you know, not just programmatic uh, efforts, but all the mentoring that was happening in workplaces and faith institutions and community settings and, and even just neighbor to neighbor and family to family. So um, do a variety of that type of research stuff uh, for our national office and certainly support uh, our affiliates around the country like you all. So 
Thanks, Mike. And just as a quick follow-up question, um, just given that you're the director of research and evaluation, those to me, like the researchers, evaluators, is one of those skills not everybody has nor aspires to have. It takes a special person like yourself to be able to really sit with research and analyze and you know, help those who are practitioners in the field apply that research and practice. So in short, my question is, given your expertise, I was curious as to what brought you to mentoring specifically. Yeah, so it's interesting. That organization in Portland that I mentioned earlier is primarily an organization that works in the K-12 education space. So doing a lot of work with school districts, state departments of education, educational service districts, entities, like that. Uh, but those institutions were actually created back in the 60s by Lyndon Johnson. So going way back, uh, you know, over half a century to uh, really help take research about education and help schools and teachers and principals do something with that education. So uh, I came up as a, a young professional working in a place that was all about uh, helping people use research to do their work with young people better. Uh, over the years, though, they would also dabble in other areas related to youth work, such as supporting nonprofits and uh, school safety things and community center work and recreational stuff. Uh, got a number of grants that were mentoring related, and at the time they didn't really uh, you know, uh, have a deep expertise around mentoring, right? They were used to working more around school topics. And so I was uh, part of a group of people that helped build up kind of that organization's knowledge base around mentoring and what this kind of odd way of helping young people was all about and you know, what this role of a mentor is. How is that different than a coach or a teacher or, you know, uh, so really uh, dove into that research in an effort to kind of help the organization do its work better and kind of know what it was talking about <laughs> when it came to that, that topic. And so I think, um, you know, that ethos of just kind of wanting to help people find and use information has always been part of, of what I do. Um, you know, even though I, I am a researcher, I am the first one to admit, I'm not like one of these stats people. I'm not, you know, some, uh, quantitative uh, number crunching person. That is not my my skill set. But what I think I'm pretty good at is helping people find answers to the questions that they have. And in fact, my original plan coming out of college was I was going to be a librarian. And uh, there's nothing I loved more than helping people find information, whether it's in a book or a database or uh, you know, microfiche. Uh, I don't know if they still have microfiche anymore. Probably not. <laughs> it's probably been digitized at this point. But I uh, really loved just the activity of helping people find the information they needed to, to answer a question or to do their work better. So uh, that's kind of the ethos that I've brought to this over the years. I love learning that. I have a background in library stuff too. And last year finished my master's in library science. So congratulations. You know, thanks. It's a fantastic <laughs> degree to get. But you previously mentioned the elements of effective practice for mentoring. And that's something that Michelle and I know very well. We use it in our day-to-day -day work, particularly with programs. Um, and a lot of our work generally is focused on everyday mentoring. So sometimes the elements of effective practice for programs 
isn't quite applicable to the everyday mentoring or natural mentoring work. But I know that you all at Mentor, you've done a lot of work creating an elements of effective practice for mentors. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what that means and like what that is and why it felt necessary or important to create something like that. Yeah, no, thanks, Ashley. And and yeah, so we have been at work on a new publication, and there'll be trainings and other things that kind of come out uh, alongside that uh, in the years to come. But it is a twist on the publication that you mentioned, which is for practitioners. This one, though, gets down to the level of the mentor. And I think you're absolutely correct in noting that a lot of the things that we have done as an organization are really aimed kind of at the nonprofit sector or the education sector, folks that are running kind of these formal structured mentoring programs for young people, uh, often bringing volunteers into some kind of uh, organizational setting, doing intentional matching of them with particular young people, and then kind of, you know, uh, supporting those relationships over time. And I think, Though what I've really been reflecting on is that that is not the majority of mentoring that people experience in their lives. If you ask a room full of 10 people, like, who was your mentor growing up? It's not very likely that anyone in that room is going to say, oh, I had a formal mentor through this program that intentionally matched us, right? They're much more likely to mention a coach, a pastor, a teacher, Uh, a friend of their parents, uh, you know, an extended family member, extended kinship network type uh, relationships. And so we've been talking a lot at National about, well, if we're we're an organization dedicated to supporting the mentoring movement and the work of mentors, well, we're often not talking to those people. We're talking like a layer above them, kind of in this, uh, you know, the practitioner space, folks running programs. So our goal with this uh, product was to really go down to that next layer where the the rubber meets the road, frankly, and that's where you have an adult and a young person and they're, you know, sitting at a table or out at a park somewhere and some mentoring is going to (laughs) happen. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've noticed and I've thought about a lot in my career is that you could be running a really good program. You could be doing all those practices that we recommend around how to recruit volunteers and screen them and train them and supporting these matches and so forth. But if the folks that are working directly with those young people aren't doing it quite right, you're going to have a hard time helping those young people reach their goals, right? The quality of the mentoring, uh, you know, still not may not be what those young people need. And and so we wanted to produce a resource that spoke directly to mentors, both in programs, but also the huge percentage of mentors outside of of programs, right? Um, Those folks are often just winging it in their work, right? And I know even for me, as someone who's worked in this field as long as I have, I have wound up in some kind of mentoring relationships with young people in my neighborhood that kind of bubbled up organically, if you will. And and even me, I, there were times when I didn't know how to handle the situation or didn't know kind of what the right type of help to be providing is. And so uh, I think this is just another effort on our organization's part to 
improve the quality of what young people receive when adults step in to provide mentoring to them, right? And so uh, just a little bit of a different take and, and trying to speak to and improve the skills of a different set of folks that do this work, right? Not the practitioners, but the actual uh, person who's, who's in that mentoring role. When having shared our own story, same thing came up for us is that our mentoring took place outside of a, a formal program, that our mentors were pastors and community members and teachers. And we wanted to spend time talking about the importance of those relationships and really highlighting and uplifting these organic mentoring relationships that just naturally occur in the community um, and in places where young people are at. Um, and I think it's so cool that there's going to be a resource, right? When you when you embark on these relationships and nor do we know if we're always doing it quote unquote in the right way, where we're, we come to the table with a willingness to connect to young people and open in the relationship and willing to listen and provide, you know, opportunities the best we know how, it would be nice to have a tool, right, to just support your everyday mentor or person who cares. Can you tell us, like, how do you go about conducting research to that level to come up with a resource as what you're talking about? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I think one of the things I will note about this, this product that we've been working on is that we really wanted to step back and think about mentoring in all of its contexts and all of its forms. And I'm glad, Michelle, that you mentioned the importance of these kind of naturally occurring relationships. I, I think there is a whole army of American adults out there that want to support young people that are supporting young people, uh, often through some other professional or paraprofessional role that they have, right? So, um, you know, scout troop leaders and little league coaches and old heads at the barbershop. And, you know, and I have always loved your everyday mentors work because I think you're actually speaking to a true vision for what mentoring looks like in communities. And I think, so when we started putting together this resource, we were like, well, you know, look, we can't just be drawing on research that's about kind of mentoring that happens in these structured programs, right? That's that's part of this movement, but we need to be thinking very holistically about all the mentoring that young people get and, and kind of what are the global things that uh, research kind of broadly would suggest are important skills or competencies or practices that a, a mentor would do kind of almost regardless of whether they're doing it in a, a program, in a school, in a workplace, in a community setting, neighbor to neighbor, uh, what are the things that kind of globally apply? And so I pulled together a team of researchers, uh, scholars, a group of folks much smarter than, than I am, and we sat down and we just brainstormed like what what are the things that research suggests are important? And, you know, I can kind of go through uh, where we landed with that, if, if that would be helpful here. But we really tried to draw from both um, quantitative research studies that have found, you know, uh, uh, in kind of, you know, statistical based ways, things that kids said, yeah, this really helped me or this didn't help me when you tried doing it this way. We also relied, though, a lot on qualitative work. Uh, several of the researchers that contributed to this are 
folks that have made their careers doing interviews with mentors and young people and parents of, of mentees and, and really tried to understand kind of the human side of this, right? This is people work. And, and I think one of my frustrations sometimes is when we think about mentoring from a public policy perspective, we get very caught up in, in kind of numerical, uh, you know, signs of effectiveness and, and impact. And, and that's important. We want to make sure that if we're investing in programs that we're spending, you know, taxpayer dollars wisely and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, this is people work. This is human beings helping other human beings. And so it was important to us that we kind of um, also involved uh, research that's examined those experiences and what people have said and felt and and uh, you know experienced in these relationships. And so we cast a pretty wide net in terms of the research that we brought into this. We didn't conduct any new research to inform this. I guess I'll just note that um, there are other organizations that do do kind of live action applied research. Uh, folks like the Search Institute that have their uh, developmental relationships framework. They're actively doing research in, on that in schools and community settings, trying to refine uh, that framework and, and test it in, in real life. Uh, we didn't do that necessarily here. We just kind of drew on the long history of, of research about kind of when you ask adults and young people, like what worked in this relationship? How did you provide guidance to this young person? Um, you know, did it go well? Did it not go well? We tried to bring that body of research to life here and, and really um, turn it into some applicable things that readers of this product uh, can do in their work with kids. It would be great to, um, like you mentioned, if you could talk about some of those best practices that you chose or things that you identified. So we, we put a lot of debate into what should go into this. Uh, what are the things that we might consider fairly universal and like really super important? In other words, we have research that says, if you're not doing this well, uh, it's going to harm a young person. Or if you... Uh, are trying to be purposeful and help this young person reach a goal or overcome some obstacle. You know, there are things that we know about how that goes well and how it doesn't go well. We can draw from psychology and education and other fields. And I want to just make it very clear, this is not a completely comprehensive and exhaustive list of every skill a mentor could have. So I will tell you where we landed here. These will make sense to your listeners, I think. These topics come up very strongly in a lot of the everyday mentors work uh, that you all do. They certainly come up in programmatic uh, mentoring contexts as well. They kind of chunked into two categories. So the first one is what we wound up calling kind of relationship building practices. These were things that um, these skills could help that mentor and that young person uh, get to know each other, find common ground, and form that bond that I think we all agree is, is a real core essential piece of mentoring. So the six that wound up in that category are 
providing emotional support and empathy. And we made sure that that one goes first, because I think you're not doing good work as a mentor if you're not uh, able to be empathetic to what the your mentee is going through. And if you're not providing them emotional support that helps them feel a sense of belonging and, and really a sense of being loved and cared for, um, to me, you're not doing good mentoring if you're skipping over that. Um, doesn't mean that you can't be purposeful in your mentoring or have uh, kind of a narrow focus to what your relationship is about. But at the end of the day, you are a caring adult. So we wanted to lead with the caring part of that to really emphasize it. We also then included other things that seemed really critical to building a relationship. So things like uh, practicing cultural humility and being culturally responsive to young people and their families, uh, making room for fun and play, right? Mentoring can be very serious about serious challenges young people face, but like any human relationship, it should be fun too, right? And particularly in working with younger children, play is kind of their domain, right? And if you're able to meet a young person in play, um, your odds of forming a really good close relationship with them go up. Um, we have a chapter on a, a, a concept called attunement, which basically means when I'm meeting with you, if I'm your mentor, that I'm picking up on your nonverbal cues. I'm aware of where you're at that day, where I'm at in my own headspace, and that we're able to work together to like meet each other where we're each at, right? And so kind of the subtle art of, um, you know, being on the same wavelength uh, with the young person you're mentoring. We then also included some things that are around the context where mentoring happens. So we have a chapter on doing uh, group uh, interactions, how to facilitate those. A lot of mentoring programs obviously use a group model, but even if you're mentoring outside of a program, chances are when you're meeting with your young person, they may have a friend or a younger sibling tagging along, or you just may encounter them out in the community where there's other kids around. And so if you're working with a group, there are some things that we thought uh, were important to say about how to just manage that group and make sure everyone has a good experience. And then the last one kind of, you know, the pandemic forced our hand on this one. We included a chapter on how to do this work uh, through technology. So we have a chapter on online communication because how you do some of this work with a young person through a computer or a cell phone or something looks different than if you're sitting in the same room with them. And, and a lot of times mentors that are really good in-person mentors really struggle to, we've, I mean, we've all sent emails that the other person took the wrong way or, you know, or maybe that just happens to me, but, um, but yeah, digital communication is fraught with peril. So we thought it was important to include a chapter there. As caring adults, we look forward to opportunities to share our wisdom of learned experiences with young people. The Mentoring Partnership is here to support those efforts and encourage ways for you to be more intentional in those natural mentoring opportunities by offering our everyday mentoring training to groups of individuals of 10 or more. To learn more about our everyday mentoring training, please contact the Mentoring Partnership at 412 281 2535 or by emailing us at info at mentoringpittsburgh.org. The second half of the, the publication really focuses on what we wound up calling 
um, practices for supporting youth. So things that were more about like, what are we doing together when we're in a mentoring uh, context? And so that section starts with a chapter on working with others in what you might think of as the relationship system. We always think of mentoring as like, well, there's a mentoring a kid and that's it. That dyad is where the magic happens. But uh, there's always parents, guardians, caregivers, extended family in that mix. There's also, if you're doing it in a program, program staff uh, that are supporting that relationship. And so we wanted to give advice to the mentor on how to navigate that kind of web that is around the young person and do that in ways that are respectful and and where you're joining a team, you're not there to be Superman to this uh, young person. We then have chapters on honoring youth voice and building youth power. So how do I, as a mentor, uh, let young people take the lead in this relationship so that I am working in service of their goals rather than imposing what I think they need to do onto them. We then have chapters on critical consciousness building and youth activism. So very much kind of thinking once again of this moment in time in our nation's history, young people are leading on a million issues that come up, whether it's climate change or gun control or or social uh, and racial justice. We wanted to see mentors empowering young people to change their communities, right? Not just change the trajectory of their own lives, but how can we all change uh, the context that we're all in through the power of mentoring. And then we end with three chapters that I think are fairly, I guess what you might think of as instrumental, right? So we have one on goal setting and support. So at some point, this young person's going to want to achieve something or overcome something. How do you do that? There's a real science to um, working on goals, setting goals, um, providing support around the pursuit of goals, We then have a chapter uh, from Sam McQuillan on talking about behavior change. So this is one of those tricky areas where mentors struggle, right? Your young person is maybe engaged in some behavior that's harmful to them or harmful to others, or they're just not going down a path that's good, whether it's on school or their health or, or other relationships. How do you talk about change in ways that don't turn them off to it. And this really draws from the world of psychology where there are some things that we very much know not to do when talking to people about how to make change in their life, right? Shaming them, telling war stories about your own experience, right? All the things that we tend to do as parents, like every time I read this chapter, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all these with my own kids. Um, but they're called writing reflexes where we want to write someone else's wrong, so to speak, right? And and so this chapter really tell, tells mentors how to avoid stepping in that and how to encourage young people's kind of intrinsic motivation to change, connecting reasons for change to their values, that kind of stuff. And then lastly, we end with a chapter that I think is really important, and that is expanding youth's networks of support. Because I think a lot of times in the mentoring space, we put all this we put all our eggs in one basket called a mentor. Hey, you got a mentor through a program or you had a mentor through uh, your school or whatever. And we expect that one relationship to change a lot. And I just think that's unrealistic. We all need multiple mentors throughout our lives 
Ideally, we will find them. But I think one of the best gifts a mentor can give a young person is teaching them some skills on how to find their next mentors and what to look for in adults in their lives that they could get support from. Sometimes a mentor can actually help make those connections, right? Introducing the mentee to uh, other folks in their circle or perhaps helping them uh, be referred to some other service or program that might be helpful to them. So we really wanted to make sure that mentors reading this publication didn't feel isolated, that like, hey, maybe the best thing you can do is expand the overall web of support that this young person has. So those are the chapters. I know I ran through those pretty quickly here. I'm happy to drill down on any of them if that would be helpful to your listeners. But we felt like that was a pretty good comprehensive suite of the types of skills that we would hope a mentor has in their toolbox, so to speak. Now, I can tell you, not all 12 of those things will be applied to every relationship that a mentor has with a young person. In fact, if you're doing all 12, it's probably going to be weird. But um, when certain situations come up, when there are times where uh, you may need to provide a certain kind of help or be there for that young person a particular way, we thought those 12 things were a pretty good starting point. Um, for most mentoring relationships. so And I appreciate you even running through those chapters. Those topics are re- refreshing to hear. And I think even your last point in just stating that you're not going to see all of those things show up in every relationship, just to hit home on the importance that each young person is, a, is an individual and how you meet that young person um, is going to depend on how they present, how they're coming to this relationship and having to be flexible enough to meet them where they're at. One of the things that came up um, again, when we were having these conversations and we started the podcast was around the importance of doing no harm. I know that there are people who, who I hate using this word because sometimes I don't know if it's fair to represent them in that way, maybe well-intentioned and want to work with young people, but could be doing harm because they may not have, um, the skills and I'm thinking specifically around cultural competency and you say things like I heard a story recently of how someone in the school system was working with a young person and they kind of pinned them to one type of college and university based on who they were assuming they didn't have the resources or the knowledge right to excel in certain ways and and I think that could be detrimental especially in positions of power like young people still look to adults as one with wisdom and how we can we can do harm and stifle young people if we're not aware of like our assumptions and biases and maybe where we could work to enhance our skills in in other areas of empathy and how to communicate. I think it's refreshing that there is a tool like this that'll be available for those who want to be very intentional in working with young people. And I'm I'm eager to look at it. And like you mentioned about being a parent, there's times I'm guilty, like (laughs) I'm guilty for some of my parenting strategies. Like I no, I could have done that better. And you think after the, after the fact. So having resources like that are very helpful just to reference. Um, and I think it's great that your everyday person will have access to something like this. How do you envision that folks will use this resource and get access to it? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think so. Um, we're also going to be working on some videos that will accompany this. So we'll kind of highlight uh, some key takeaways from each 
chapter. Um, and then down the road, there'll be trainings that I think Mentor develops. So folks both in and outside of program context that want to maybe get some training on these topics, there'll be opportunities for that as well. But I think for me, I think readers ideally would just kind of come to this resource and just kind of explore it, right? Think about the relationships they have with young people currently, uh, or if they're on the precipice of joining a program or thinking about taking that step. I think this resource will help a lot of that work uh, come to life for them and, and make it feel a little more tangible. Uh, there's a really good introduction. I didn't mention the intro, uh, but we have a good introduction in which we talk a lot about kind of the mindset that you should be bringing to this work, right? A general love and affection for young people uh, at the heart of it. And I think you touched on something, Michelle, that I reflect on a lot, and it's come up in my research there is a not insignificant percentage of people that sign up to be mentors, uh, both in and outside of kind of formal programs that are signing up to be mentors because they actually don't think very highly of kids or they don't think very highly of their families or their schools. Uh, and I'm convinced that a, a unfortunately, you know, meaningful percentage of mentors in this country are motivated by uh, really selfish and hurtful reasons, right? It seems counterintuitive, but uh, I think there's a lot of mentors that show up because they don't think these parents are doing a good job or they think today's kids are kind of going down the wrong path. And, and so we actually talk about that in that introduction fairly explicitly and say, hey, if you're in this work, for reasons that are about you or about negative views of kids and families and communities, uh, don't do this work. <laughs> like this movement is not for you. Um, I, you know, I think we make a mistake when we say, oh, everyone can be a mentor. No, 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 no. I don't think everyone can be a mentor. I think, um, you know, just even the last year has really shown uh, there are many people in our society that act from very selfish uh, points of view, right? And so we're pretty explicit in that introduction about like, hey, before you go on this journey, uh, doing no harm here is paramount. And it doesn't mean that you're gonna be perfect. You mentioned as a parent, you often realize, ah, I kind of stepped in it there, but it's about having that self-awareness to know when you've done it and also coming at it from a place where Hopefully you've built a relationship that's strong enough with this young person that when you do make a mistake or don't get something right, you can fix it and you can work on it and you can view this as a continual learning experience, right? And so I think we're pretty explicit in that introduction about, you know, kind of who this work is for, but I'm going to make the assumption that most of the folks that seek out a resource like this are folks that are in this for the right reasons, and uh, I think they will find a lot of language and a lot of ideas in these chapters that, uh, that resonate with them. We also were very clear that like, look, even though this is a lot of content that we're about to put out there, it's certainly not the be all end all of everything you might need to know. So all of those chapters I mentioned earlier end with a pretty you know, deep list of additional reading and resources and there's TED Talks, there's downloadable publications, there's books that we recommend. There's a, a number of things on each of those kinds of mentor skills where if the person wants to go deeper and learn more, they, they can, so.
Thanks. And I just had one more question to kind of close us out. If you had a personal mentoring story about being a mentor or being um, mentored, but a personal story that you would like to share. You know, it's funny. I've been asked that question before, and I'm always a little sheepish when I say, I don't know if I had a mentor growing up. Um, you know, our own research of mentors found that about one in three, one in four folks say that about their lives. And uh, in my case, I don't know if there was a point in time where I wished I'd had a mentor. Um, I probably wished at various points I had parents other than my actual parents, but um, but I don't think I, yeah, I mean, there was an English teacher in 10th grade, uh, Miss Bennett at uh, Churchill High School in Eugene, Oregon, uh, who really encouraged my writing uh, when I was a sophomore in her class, uh, actually would let me get up on Fridays in front of the class and read uh, some of my fiction that I had been writing. Um, in retrospect, it was probably a huge waste of everyone's time except mine, but it, uh, she saw that I had a bit of a gift for the written word and wanted me to share that gift. And so when I think back, I, you know, she's probably the closest I ever had to uh, someone who provided me that encouragement in that way. I also, though, tell people I had a lot of what you might call anti-mentors in my life, right? So a couple of sports coaches in particular that I think taught me an awful lot about how to not be as an adult, right? And, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, we encounter those people in life sometimes. But yeah, there were, there were some adults that taught me an awful lot about how to be in this world, but in the reverse way that they thought they were doing it. So it's not an experience I wish on our nation's children. But, you know, one of the things we do talk about, though, for young people is if you're in a relationship that goes sour and just doesn't work out for some reason, that's still a learning opportunity, right? I know we we just got done talking about the do no harm ethos, and I think that's important. But, you know, I think every relationship that a young person gets into that, you know, is a mentoring relationship is a chance to learn and grow. And and sometimes you find out what you don't like in, in getting support and help, and that helps you find better help and support. Uh, the next time. So, so that's, that's my personal mentoring story, uh, kind of not the amazing uh, story you were probably hoping for, but I think a real one, right? And a realistic one. I feel like I ended your podcast on a down note there. <laughs> no, I, I think it's great that you share that because that just goes to show like everybody's story and path is different, but even being able to recall that maybe shorter interaction with your 10th grade teacher and just how that stood with you to this time yeah. um, as one interaction that was powerful. I think it goes to show that you don't know how some of those shorter interactions could have a lasting impact. And if we go in with that mentality and we can string some of those instances together that it does not always take a once a week on a Wednesday for an hour to make yep. an impact on a young person because we're one like you said about these webs of support like you talked about how to kind of navigate all of the other rich relationships that young people have access to so whether it's parents or guardians or other teachers or community members like we're all playing a role. We're, if we're helping kind of string that together, then that's the hope is that young people are surrounded by mentoring yeah. opportunities. So I love that you share that story. That's going to be other listeners 
experience as well. So I just appreciate you being candid and and honest. Thank you, Mike, for joining us today. We appreciate you and all of your support and all that you do for the field. And yeah, thanks. Thank you for having me. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. Stay inspired. You heard us talk with Mike a lot about the new resource for mentors. And great news. It's been officially released and is available for everyone on Mentor's website. We'll share the link to where you can find it in this episode's show notes. Becoming a Better Mentor, Strategies to Be There for Young People is a fantastic resource written by experts for any and all adults looking to support young people. It's full of real-world advice and evidence-based strategies and provides mentors with tangible ways to be there for young people. Plus, it's available in different formats to fit your learning style and schedule. On the website, you can download the written resource, you can watch short videos summarizing each chapter, and soon, it's going to be released as an audiobook. So check it out. To give you a glimpse of it all, take a listen to this video clip summarizing the introduction. Becoming a Better Mentor Strategies to Be There for Young People was developed with you, the mentor in mind. The role of mentor is a very special one. Mentors have come in many forms, as wise elders, as part of extended family networks, as spiritual leaders, as teachers and coaches, and as everyday citizens who simply want to offer a helping hand. We all need mentors throughout our lives. And regardless of how long you have been mentoring, we designed this resource to help you be an even better mentor than you already are. The information will help you fill your mentoring toolbox with the skills and attitudes that can help a young person, also known as a mentee, or protege in mentoring relationships on their journey. Because every mentoring relationship is unique, you likely won't apply all of these skills to every relationship, but the topics highlighted are the ones that research suggests are extremely valuable in a wide variety of mentoring contexts. The introduction chapter in Becoming a Better Mentor offers foundational information, such as a brief overview of youth development, so that you can understand how your role might change based on the mentee's age. It covers some basic information about how mentoring relationships tend to progress over time and common sticking points you can avoid. It also describes what a mentoring mindset is and why having it is important. Your work as a mentor is grounded in love and caring, and it shows that you have a purpose beyond your own life and a desire to make the world a better place. We encourage you to embrace that idea and make it part of your identity. You are a mentor. That means a lot, especially at this moment in time. And you will always have something to offer young people if you bring a mentoring mindset to your relationships and practice a few of the skills highlighted in becoming a better mentor. So. Check out all the chapters, the animations, and the audiobook, and good luck on your mentoring journey. See the full resource at mentoring.org slash bettermentor for more tips on how you can be a better mentor. Thanks for listening. 
be sure to check out the resource Becoming a Better Mentor, Strategies to Be There for Young People. Find it on Mentor's website or check the show notes for the link. We hope you'll join us for episode two, where we'll talk with another mentor staff about mentoring in the workplace. Don't forget to subscribe to Mentor Chat so you don't miss it. Thomas and Ashley Wineland with the mentoring partnership of Southwestern Pennsylvania. Our music is Cheery Monday by Kevin MacLeod. Special thank yous to Kristen Allen and the mentoring partnership team. Thank you to Mike Geringer. For more information about us and mentoring, take a look at this episode's show notes and visit the mentoring partnerships website at www.mentoringpittsburgh.org.